Welcome to the Digital Ecology Podcast. Here we create a window into the backstory of technology adoption in England's National Health Service. I'm your host, Victoria Betton. So today I'm joined by Andy Wilkins, who's a systems thinker, a human-centred designer, and his whole shtick is rethinking care for the 21st century. And Andy does this through his consultancy, Future of Health, his podcast, and his many and varied um, speaking engagements. So Andy, so happy to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you, Victoria. It's absolutely brilliant to be here with you. (laughs) Good. (laughs) So um, over the next half hour or so, I want to talk change in complex systems. So I want to talk about digital transformation, adoption of technology, but through the lens of complexity, because this stuff isn't easy, right? No, it's uh, probably one of the most complex challenges we face as a society. So, um, and not only is it complex in terms of all the moving parts that comprise what we mean by health and healthcare, but also we've got the greatest changes in medicine, science and technology about to land in this space in the next 10 years. So there's a lot to get our heads around. So so start off, Andy, by telling me how on earth you got into this particular bit of health. What, what attracted you to complexity and systems theory and so on? Right back at the start of my career, I actually studied human physiology and psychology. So there, there is a something of coming home in, in coming back to, to, to healthcare. But it, in between then, I spent uh, quite a bit of time uh, learning the craft of product development and innovation. And one of the things, I guess, partly because of my study of psychology, but also partly because of the way I think, I was always fascinated on this notion of what, what really matters to customer. How, what does value mean for customers? It's sort of customer-centered innovation. And that's been uh, something that's uh, followed me through my career. So I've done a number of projects. It started off a product, and then it looks at service what, we, what does a, a service innovation look like? And then more recently, I've been involved in customer experience. So I still chair quite a few customer experience conferences looking at how do organizations relate to their customers. And then more recently, um, it's taken me into this area of health, partly by accident. I was invited to undertake a number of projects. One, I suppose the big one that got me back into health was that Back in around 2013-ish time, the government decided it was going to set up government digital services and it wanted a digital strategy for each department. And by luck, I was invited to co-author the Digital First strategy, which uh, was for ministers, really looking at how do we start to engage the public in a digital way with the healthcare system. So that got me interviewing the great and good. And then really since then, I've been through uh, more luck than judgment, invited to participate in a whole bunch of projects around public health, around diabetes and mental health and patient experience and uh, doing some work for Booper on wellness and old uh, residential care. So I've had the uh, good fortune to look at through many windows into this healthcare challenge. And that's what's really led me to see the many moving pieces of this. And combined with my interest in systems thinking, it's got me thinking and writing and presenting on where we might take uh, healthcare in the future to be a much more joined up, holistic kind of approach. And of course, I interviewed you for my book, Digital Ecology. Um, And what I'm endeavouring to do in that book is make the case that if digital is going to have this transformative effect we all hope for, we've got to focus as much on people and design and systems as we do on technology. 
But the metaphors that we use, the way we think about technology is quite mechanistic. And actually, the way we talk about health is quite industrial. And so I just want to take us to language and and Mm. how we conceptualise health and how we conceptualise adoption of technology. And what what are the metaphors do you think we're using at the moment and what's problematic with them and and what could be better? Oh, big questions. Uh, (laughs) You're right in, in saying that we have largely borrowed from the language of um, industry to create and enhance and reinforce our healthcare systems. And part of that really means that we've um, essentially, and I think a lot of people who've either worked in it or been part of the healthcare system will will recognise as a slightly cruel metaphor that we've created a giant sausage machine, uh, which wants to industrialise and scale processes or care pathways, as we call it, And so often patients will find themselves uh, inserted into these pathways. And certainly as they get older with more chronic conditions and more uh, complications as a result of that, find themselves pinging around inside a giant system, which doesn't seem to recognize the individual. It's tailored and oriented towards its various siloed uh, care pathways and, and structures. So we've created a very mechanized system which doesn't really speak to the needs of people with more and more complex conditions. So one of the things that I've really been focusing on is, when we, especially when we come to digital transformation, is, is thinking about digital in, in two meta ways. One, one is that let's take all the legacy processes that we've got now and digitize them. Let's take all our forms and all our processes and make them digital. And that's a natural instinct for people inside the system to to think about how they might harness digital. And sure enough, there will be some benefits. There'll be some quicker ways of doing things. But the real transformational possibility of digital is to rethink what we mean by health and healthcare in a digital world. That allows us and it calls upon us really to go back right to sort of first principle. What do we mean by health? What do we mean by healthcare? Because what digital does is broaden out a greater suite of tools, knowledge, data, uh, and creates a landscape where we can see across different silos that we could never see before. We could see information that we could never see before, and we can collect new information and new ways of doing things. So we've got this amazing new toolkit that comes to us that enables us to think about how do we solve the problems of healthcare in new and more expanded and more enriched ways. And that really brings us back to systems thinking, A, and B, putting the person right back at the centre of this project of health and healthcare. So when it comes to, to language, it's, I think, really important to start thinking about healthcare not as a bunch of silos, but as an, an integrated system and start to think about it in more in sort of biological or ecological terms. And secondly, uh, and this is, what, again, where language is important, is to maybe start to think about retiring the word patient. Mm. Because what the word patient does is condense and reduce the human being down to a subset of, of a human that is the things that are wrong with them. And what, uh, what I've been calling for a person-centered healthcare system is to say, no, a person is much more than their diseases or their, their, their organs that aren't functioning. They are pe- people with dreams, hopes and aspirations, and they're in a context uh, that matters to how we think about health and healthcare. So how do we deepen our enrich, our engagement with people so that we can start to think about 
wrapping care around a more holistic understanding of people rather than these siloed condition-based models that form part of the sausage machine factory of today. And language counts, right? You you started off um, the conversation talking about customers and, and there was a time when we did start to use the word customer in the context of health. But of mm. course, you know, most people aren't choosing to shop around for their health services. They're sort of getting what they're given. So that was a really problematic term. I like what you're saying about people, that we talk about people rather than patients. So the way we conceptualise, the way we think about um, these things really counts because it frames our, our approach towards it and how we how we end up doing the work. It, it does indeed. And, and I'm sure you've come across this as well. One of the, the frustrations and the, the sadness really is that many people go into healthcare with this sense of vocation that they, they do care uh, about people. They do have skills and knowledge and wherewithal and they want to apply that to the real care of people. But they often find themselves inside a system that's measuring them for metrics and deliverables that compromise or limit their ability to truly spend time uh, with, with people, let's call them people, to deliver and support them in the way that people really need it. We're sort of trapped inside the sausage machine, unable to deliver the sorts of care that they know their peop- the people in front of them need, but through the number of people they must see per unit time or whatever the constraint is that we're measured on are find themselves constricted and constrained on their ability to truly care and it has horrible consequences both for individual people who don't often walk away from their encounters with healthcare system not fully understanding their condition or their treatment or how to mobilize their significant other or their family to help them which means that their health trajectories suffer as a result and also people inside the healthcare system who suffer a kind of moral harm that there's so much more they could do, but their job stops them from doing it. And it's, it's, it, it weighs on them as a burden. And it's, I think, part, contributing in part to this burnout that we're seeing around us for so many people in the healthcare system. How do we, how do we make these step changes? How do we enable the system to change when it's on fire, when there's so much pressure in the system and so much pressure on um, staff? Someone once um, described it as trying to fix the engine while it's still running. And I think that's a really good, um, that's a really good analogy. So, how do we create the space and the environment where we can start to make some of these changes that that, there'll be little pockets happening all over the place but how do we how do we sustain and build some momentum as a system well this is one of the you know the multi-million dollar questions that we've not been very good at solving to date and there is a you know a a long-running joke going across the nhs that the nhs has more pilots than british airways um, (laughs) because So many initiatives get spun up at a local level but can't sustain or scale themselves across the system because at a certain point they find themselves exposed to the traditional logic and the traditional way of seeing things that then clamp down and squash out the innovation from ever sort of taking root. So I I would look at this, and I've been thinking deeply about this actually, that there are perhaps two mutually supporting ways of of thinking about systemic change. One is top-down so we need, and I'll come on to explain a little bit more about what I mean by that at the minute, and bottom up. So top down is if you're in a distributed network of siloed organizations working in healthcare who are under a lot of pressure to hit their numbers and, and 
deliver what they're sort of contractually obliged to deliver, the amount of time and bandwidth to be thinking horizontally about how could we collaborate, how could we coordinate our activity in a more joined up manner for the benefit of our, our patients. People will or people. People will talk about that, but the reality is it's very difficult to do that when you're up against it trying to hit the numbers. So what I've found is that in order to get some sort of systemic change, we need something akin to a vision of the future. What is it that all of these silos are participating in? What is the potential for what a 21st century healthcare could look like? And we've got loads of new technologies and new medicines coming along. So truly, there are some truly transformational technologies and medical approaches that allow us to do things differently. So what could that future look like? Because if we can share that vision, and then what it means is across the system, we'd have a shared picture of the future, shared notion of a North Star of where our healthcare is moving towards. And if that could be shared and understood, then it gives us a a framework. It gives us a space to have those conversations to with people in other silos about how could we work together to enable that kind of future to happen. So without that shared vision, it's very difficult for people to know what to do. So that's one thing. Uh, and that vision needs to work both for policymakers at the highest possible level, but it also needs to work that one level down. I always call this like a game of chess at three levels. One is policymaker vision. So what does this mean for the future of healthcare and the future of our country? How do we tell this story in a way that excites and enthuses policymakers and the public? But what does this also mean the next tier down for the future of, in our case, integrated care systems for pharmaceuticals, for med tech, for the digital health and tech industry, who are all holding pieces of this, you know, pieces of the jigsaw for this future? How can we create a story, a vision that enables those people to come together to think about and plan for a a new coordinated systemic future? But at the same time, what does that actually mean on the front line? We need to start spinning up more of these experiments and projects to start to look at what sorts of new ways can we bring to life, new ways of doing things. So leaders need to have the courage and belief inspired usually by a vision to enable their people to begin these experiments and be willing to support them, engage them, seek to extract the learnings from them so we can learn as a system how to do things better. Uh, So one way I describe this is uh, through a model which many people might have heard, which is a three horizons model, right? There's stuff that we just got to get done to keep the lights on and be able to deliver the healthcare that's requirements in front of us, the horizon one stuff. And yes, we need to tend to that and, and take account of that. Horizon three is looking at this long term vision. Where are we all heading to and how can we start to think about what that looks like? And then dropping back from that horizon two, what are the big enabling pieces that we need to put in place that enable us to both build from horizon one? but build, uh, enable us to allow us to transform towards horizon three. So this is difficult. This is hard. This is really asking leaders to think in almost three different time horizons at the same time. How do we get stuff done today? How do we, what is the longer term future that we can orient towards and start thinking about? And what are the more significant enablers that we need to start working towards, which are these kind of collaborative projects that start to bring truly person-centered integrated care into being? 
And digital and technology are going to be massive enablers to enable us to do things in a way more exciting and ambitious way than we've ever been able to do before. So these are frightening, scary, but super exciting times at the same time. So with this really complex stuff, it's not just going to fall to people within the NHS or within healthcare. We're going to need um, people from the technology sector, from med tech, from medicines. We're going to need a really wide range of people to get involved to shape this vision and to enact it and to really, really stretch our thinking about what's possible. And, and maybe we need ethicists, we need philosophers, we need legal experts, we need creatives. I'm, I'm really interested in how we might bring some of the unusual suspects together so that we create that vision that really is holistic and exciting and we don't double down on the stuff that's not very good or or in fact reinforce inequalities and the inverse care law and that sort of thing. Does that speak to you Andy? Absolutely absolutely and so uh, an important piece of work that some of your viewers may be interested in that I was uh, fortunate enough to be invited to participate in was a piece of work which culminated in a report called Health Beyond the Fog which started off commissioned by the Royal Free Charity, but soon became a national kind of look at this long-term future. And it was basically the, the, the exam question I was given is that we stand on the edge of all these massive changes and we know we've got problems, structural problems in our healthcare. So could you look at all these major trends was, was the question I was asked. Could you roll them all forward and imagine they've all landed at scale. What could health and healthcare look the other side of this? Hence, health beyond the fog. So we were looking there at things like the, the arrival onto the scene of genetics and sensors in the body, on the body, around the body, in the environment, point of care diagnostics, new ways of doing upstream and tracking and scanning for disease, new biomarkers, etc. But also looking at you know, the, the increasing potential for more personalized forms of care and treatment, which is both integrated and personalized with our genetic understanding. And also looking at how do we engage the public in a deeper relationship around the co-creation of health? How do we, we can have all this technology and all this capability, but if people are not engaging with it, then we won't get the fully full fruits of this. So what is a new relationship between health and care expertise and the public to lift the level of awareness and understanding. So this was a, a kind of challenge that meant I had to go around doing tons of interviews with exactly the sorts of people you described. So not only was it healthcare experts and care experts and mental health and, and social care, but also going along, sitting down with the people at, at Google DeepMind to look at where is machine learning and AI going. Also talking to philosophers, as you rightly say, about what sorts of ethical questions arise. And boy, there are lots of them and some really profound ones, especially around all this data that we're going to have and this potential surveillance uh, questions. But the, the conclusion of this report that was that there is a transformational possibility with of being able to marshal the various capabilities within the existing healthcare system and all this new medicine and technology to deliver far better health if we can wrap it around the individual needs of people and communities. So there's a massive prize here that raises a bunch of difficult questions about what do we mean by care? What, do, what are the philosophical questions? What are the privacy issues? What are the technical issues? And it's really an invitation to, as right as you rightly say, to bring more voices into this conversation. So I would strongly ask people to at least check out Health Beyond the Fog as a first attempt to try and articulate what this future has. And in there, there is a bunch of questions 
that this raises, that we do need to invite different perspectives in, not just have the same old voices within the, the, the healthcare system, but actually bring other voices from technology, from arts, from design, from philosophy, from psychology, and, and a bunch of others to say, we're dealing with a deeply human question of what health and health improvement really lo- means and looks like. How do we take this deeply personal and intimate new way of doing healthcare and bring it to life in a really humane way? We, we need to do a lot of more thinking here. So Healthy on the Fog is, if you like, an outline of what that might look like, but it's also an invitation for exactly the sorts of conversations you're pointing to. Okay, Andy, I'm going to bring us back down to earth with a bump. So, you know, this is great, this future visioning. We absolutely have to do it. It's an imperative. But whilst you were, you know, talking about that amazing opportunity, I sort of had in the back of my mind the NHS trusts I'm working with at the moment that are struggling to optimise their electronic patient record, you know, even getting that used in an effective and optimised way. So we have lots of systems that don't speak to each other that are sub-optimised in their in their use as well for all sorts of different reasons how do we how do we sort of get from where you're talking about to how how do we marry up the dissonance between those two very separate tracks that we're on now a very good question and a subject of another report i did with um Stephen Dorrell's ppp uh policy unit last year uh, digitization of healthcare which uh so Stephen was very excited by this health beyond the fog vision and asked exactly this question like okay that's all well and good but we are where we are how the hell do we get from where we are to where we're going um and so the digitization of healthcare report which again is free so if anyone wants it it's it's there as a resource for the nation um this question of how do we move or how do we start to think about digital and data and healthcare records not just to solve today's problems but thinking about it as the building block and foundation to build towards this future and one of the things that became very clear talking to leaders across the healthcare system was there needs to be a, a kind of foundational level for these new conversations to work so the ability to share data share information share records is is a foundational requirement if we can't do that then any of the collaboration is almost going to become impossible because we we won't be working off the same understanding of what's what's going on so the importance of standards the importance of you know many of the apis that uh, uh, nhs digital have, have been advocating as a a way of enabling local parts of the healthcare system to pursue the technology platforms that suit them or or fit with where they've been going but making sure that they fit in with these uh, national standards so that there is interconnectivity so the importance of data or records is not something that we should think about as just a bolt on that falls out of our platforms what we've talked about in the report which i think is really important is that data and records are absolutely strategic we need to be thinking this of as as a strategic layer a strategic foundation layer that we're building to enable more teams and more groups to be able to share an understanding of the truth about a, a particular patient stroke person if we're using our new language uh, so that we can have a, a, sh- a shared sort of view of the truth from which we can coordinate and cooperate around. So that's really, really important. However, one of the really interesting challenges as we move forward is that if we move towards a more person-centered form of healthcare, 
sorts of information that we need to start to capture to understand the needs of our people go beyond the traditional medical clinical fields that most of these medical records systems have. So we need to start thinking about not just clinical data in the legacy way, but information and data about people that can inform the types of dialogues and engagements that we're going to need to bring to bear to have more deep, valid, person-centered conversations. And I've been spending a little bit more time with social care recently and the importance of this active listening, the importance of getting an understanding of what's important to people, where they are in their lives, what their priorities are, and how do we use those insights to start to structure a way of engaging with them around care and health that meets their needs, their their dreams, their in, the things that are most important to them. Uh, so, so to begin this pers- journey of personalization, yes, we need this foundational med- uh, healthcare record system, but we also need to start to think about what new forms of data and information are going to enable new forms of care and new forms of collaboration that more deeply understand the people that we serve. Yeah. You know, Andy, I was um, asked in a talk recently um, how optimistic I was about the future of sort of transformation of health and with that sort of digital substrate. And I have to say, in a sort of, co- I was caught off guard and, and I didn't feel very optimistic, but I get a real sense of optimism for you. So, so you know, how, how can you um, uh, help our listener feel optimistic about this future? Because I think working on the ground with trusts and just sort of getting a bit overwhelmed by, all the challenges that they do have in the everyday, it's really hard to to sort of keep that vision and keep that optimism about what could be possible. So how can you um, how can you encourage the our listener to feel optimistic about all of this? And me for that matter. <laughs> well, it's, it's a very difficult question because undoubtedly the healthcare system is facing a challenge on a scale never seen before. And um, and. You know, I, I've had personal uh, encounters with this view due to the fact that um, both my parents are, are, are suffering at the moment, and I've been doing some sort of care work in support of them. So, and supporting them by attending, being at hospital, being with social care. So, I, I'm talking to the people at the front line and seeing and feeling the sheer weight of pressure on them and the, the sort of exasperation that they feel. Um, so, it, it is extremely difficult moment in time to metabolize not only COVID, but all the backlogs that that are coming through that, the lack of uh, resources available, both financial and, you know, the 100,000 vacancies in nursing and same in social care. So I understand that people are desperate and demoralized uh, en masse. However, um, what I can see and, and what ex- excites me is that what's coming down the road are truly transformational possibilities to do way more than we've been able to do before. And what I found talking to a lot of people around the healthcare system is that although people are jaded and battle weary, there is a sense that people want to do more, that they there is more that could be done and that there is a potential if we can just mobilize our institutions and organizations to let go a little bit of the bureaucracy and allow a little bit more space for people who are at the front line to experiment, to 
innovate, to bring their own creativity into frontline care. There is more that could be done from this bottom-up experimentation, which could give people a They'll start to remove the helplessness that a lot of people feel at the front line and give them more agency and support to begin this process of transforming and building better levels of care. For people higher up the system, I would love to spend more time um, with with people like that because uh, I want to I want to share some of the work that done between in in Health Beyond the Fog and also convene conversations to talk about what's coming down the road because. There is a light at the end of this tunnel, but if you can't see that light, it just feels like tunnel. <laughs> and to share, at where, and where I have done that, what I've found is that people are quite excited and enthused that there is something coming that enables us to do things differently. And let's get started. Let's have those conversations. Let's start discussing amongst ourselves how we might begin this journey. I think passively waiting for policymakers to drop it on us and we process that old model i think we need to take control from within the healthcare system of our own destiny and i'm hoping that the work i'm doing at the moment can provide some inspiration and some insight as to begin uh, a, a, the possible journey of us taking more control of our own development in the future and i think there is a, an exciting future ahead but i do recognize this next year is going to be mightily tough I do wonder, I think um, integrated care systems, so the NHS reorganising itself into, I think it's 44 regions. Yes. I think that's a, quite a human scale to be able to collaborate and look at change. So I don't know what you think, but that feels to me like a, a good size for people to be operating across a sort of a regional patch together. It does. I mean, people who are long in the tooth will go, oh, hold on, mate, we've got strategic health. Oh, yes, I remember but as, as you rightly say, if we're going to spend more attention around things like prevention to mobilize these new technologies and med medicines and, and, and medical devices in new ways, then what we need to do is devolve some of the decision making from the central white hall down to areas where we're closer to the needs of our populations. And it's absolutely clear if you've got an inner city area or a rural area, you're going to have a, a very different mix of both health needs and general well-being needs in the in the population. So I think this is a step in the right direction to start to distribute down to local areas and invite local teams across primary care, secondary care, mental health, social care, but also local governments, charities and local communities to come together around a local vision <laughs> And what could we do to collaborate more effectively to better understand the needs of our, our, our people and be able to start to adjust the resources and point to the levels of collaboration that make a real difference? So a lot of what we've been talking about, I think ICSs hold the potential for being the cradle for this new way of working. It, we could easily drop the baton now. This is very, very difficult and hard work. So we do need to seek help and support from people who can provide uh, some of the expertise to help this happen. But I think this is the right approach and the right time to be trying to do this. So on that note, and, and this is a question I ask of all my um, guests, what's what's the one thing that you, you could see happening that would have a big impact? Where, where If we were going to make a change tomorrow, what, what one thing could we do that you think would have a disproportionate positive impact? This future that we've been talking about 
isn't going to be decided by one or two people that have a bright idea that just drop it down and we just implement it. This is going to arise out of us instead of just feeling we're part of the sausage factory and just carrying out our our, our job and our tasks and ticking the boxes and going home is that each of us if we look beyond the bounds and constraints and and definitions of our job at the humans that we're serving and see and understand what's most important to them each of us has the opportunity to see what more we could be doing, what ways we could do things better. And I think if we can bring our humanity and our creativity together, and we can do that at scale, because by God, we've got over a million people that work in the NHS. If we had the collective humanity and the collective wisdom and the collective intelligence and the collective belief that we could change, I think all of those micro changes will add up to the beginning of a real transformational journey. So th- th- I think that would be my, my th- what I would leave you with as a, as, a, as a kind of single most important thing. You've got me, Andy. I'm in. <laughs> where do I sign up? Um, Andy, where can people find you online? You might want to find out more about your work. Yes, you can uh, either find me on LinkedIn, you'll see me as Andy Wilkins, and there's a a lot of the talks and uh, presentations I give there in in my profile. Or the futureofhealth.life is a a, a new website that I'm just in the process of setting up and will be posting a lot more material on. But if anyone's been interested in anything I've said or any of the reports, please do contact me. Um, I, I want to share as much as I can of the work that I've already done to help other people across the healthcare system in their in their journeys and also to fire, hopefully fire some enthusiasm in these difficult times. And you've been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me, Victoria. It's been fantastic. Thank you for listening to the Digital Ecology Podcast. Please like, subscribe and review via the usual channels. My book Towards a Digital Health Ecology is available via Amazon and you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn and Medium at Victoria Betton.